0: Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder.
1: I'm Alex Argo.
0: And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 43. It's our first episode of the new year. Happy New Year, gentlemen.
1: Happy New New Year to
0: you, too. Welcome to 2016. Do we call this our season two now? I mean, we're, we're kind of conservative with the seasons on some other podcasts where they're like up to season, what, 17 in their first year.
1: Sounds good. Season two it is.
0: <laughs> All right. So we had a little hiatus, nice little Christmas break, holidays and everything. And a surprise, there was a few things that actually happened over the the, the break.
1: Yeah, it seemed like the biggest thing we just missed at the end was uh, the whole kind of executive shuffle thing that happened. Kind of interesting, and the only thing that's kind of relevant to developers is that uh, the person who's in charge of the App Store is now different, so uh, no more Eddie Q in charge. Now we've got Phil Schiller. Oh, yeah. So I'm not sure. What do you guys think of that that whole thing?
0: Maybe for the, the Mac App Store, it could make a difference. And I don't know. I don't know if it'll make much of a difference for the iOS one. Do you?
2: It's hard to say. I always think of Phil as the hardware guy because he's always the one that comes out to talk about the new hardware. But uh, this does come right on the heels of Apple's annual survey about the App Store and iTunes Connect. Um, So he'll be going in with a fresh look at what's working and what's not working from app developers. So hopefully he'll make some changes that are friendly for app developers to improve discoverability. There were a lot of questions related to marketing in that survey, so should be a good thing, I hope. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean there's not just things that'll help improve the uh the Mac app store. There's there's things that'll help the iOS app store too, like Faster review times, like bug fix reviews, or something like that, or even being able to respond to reviews might be a useful thing that could be a change that would help everyone. I think.
2: Yeah, I don't think those questions were in the survey, but I definitely took the uh, the comment section as an opportunity
0: to add my thoughts on those <laughs> those topics.
1: Yeah, same here.
0: <laughs> well, we'll see. Any predictions? Status quo? Big shakeup?
1: iTunes
2: well, I Connect think... has always been something that moves slowly, so I don't really expect we'll see any major changes anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I think part of the trick, too, is that uh, Eddie Q is still in charge of the people who implement the changes, so he still has somewhat of a say in it. So <laughs> uh, he, He's still in charge of services and all that stuff, which is what iTunes Connect and all those things are. So Yeah. I don't know. We'll We'll see. I I probably am pretty pessimistic and don't think much will change, but maybe, the business maybe deal we'll see parts, in though. the next couple months.
0: Yeah. The business deal parts, that would come from him. And Maybe they'll change up the the split. Maybe it'll be a sliding scale. Your first hundred, first hundred or thousand downloads is at 30%, and the rest of them are 20 or 10 or whatever.
1: Uh, that doesn't seem like that would make yeah. a significant dent. It wouldn't, i don't think that would help people maybe it would get big companies to to work better like maybe it'll help out amazon but i don't think like it, an, an entity who can't make it right now in 2016 getting like 10 more revenue or 20 percent more revenue i don't think is gonna push them over the edge to become profitable
0: yeah or maybe they'll change it up enough so that sketch actually wants to come back
1: That'll, that'll be kind of the barometer to, to see if they've succeeded in making the apps, the <laughs> Mac App Store a more hospitable place. Yeah.
0: Make it stop bleeding. Yeah. So, uh,
2: during the break, Natasha the Robot was still sending out her newsletter and, um, one of the, and updating her website. And she posted a, a neat little trick uh, for CocoaPods to help keep the team on the same version by using a gem file uh, that's committed to the project and people can just do bundle install to make sure they've got the right version of CocoaPods installed because uh, anybody who's been working with CocoaPods for a while knows that things break if you're not consistently on the on the right version. Um, one thing that this trick does not address is when you're working on multiple projects and different projects need different versions of CocoaPods. Uh, So there is a a way to execute CocoaPods to specify a specific version to run. Uh, And and with gems, you can have multiple versions of a gem installed. So uh, there's some nice ways of dealing with that. I'd like to see those tricks combined into one to make sure not only do you have the right version installed, but when you build the project, it's executing the right version of CocoaPods for that project.
1: So the gem file doesn't specify which version you need. It's like the minimum version.
2: It specifies, the, the gem file specifies what version to install. So it'll make sure it's installed. But if there's a newer version that you've installed, by default, um, running a pod install, it, I believe it'll use the latest version, unless you sp- are specific about which version you want to run.
0: Oh, uh, You'd probably also, just if you were to type bundle, space pod, and then install. Because I, whenever you vendor something in Ruby like that, Usually, I think you have to kick it off with the bundle command. And I might be a little fuzzy on that. It's been a while since I've done some Ruby.
1: Yeah, it seems like this might be useful if you have a team full of Rubyists, but it's kind of confusing to me. I just want to hit pod install. I don't think it works that way.
2: Well, this this is a different step. This is the making sure everybody has the same version of CocoaPods installed. So it's something you'd run very infrequently like when you set up the project or when the team has agreed to upgrade to a new version that way it's you know one script everybody runs it the same way and uh, and keeps what version everybody's using in source control in terms of the the gem file
0: oh didn't it also say something about vendoring the pods so that only one person actually ever runs the pod install command
1: well it seemed like that was also another way to get around the issue but after you do the bundle install, it says you're supposed to do bundle exec pod install every time you add a new CocoaPod.
0: Okay. Yeah. So then bundle it would use install
1: it. when you set up the project for the first time, and then bundle exec pod install. So it seems like that does maybe, does that make sure you're running the right version?
0: Yeah, it makes you run the um, vendor gem version. It's a it's a common thing that Rails developers do, because they've got so many different versions of Rails around. And- right legacy. So like maybe
2: this websites. does address the the issue that I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I think it does solve both your problems. You just have to okay. remember to to use a different command to,
2: yeah, to this do is stuff. even more useful than I thought. So definitely check this out if you're using CocoaPods on a team.
1: Maybe you just need to get everyone to like create a uh, like a macro for pod to be bundle pod or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll then it'll always do that. We can, that would make you, me do it.
0: You could get everybody to put the the current working directory in their paths and then just have a pod shell file inside the project. That'd be fine, right?
2: Well, you can and add this to a, <laughs> a fast lane build file yeah. or
0: eh, yeah, true. there's a few things you could do there. I that would be that would be much better than doing the current working directory in your path. That's a, that was a troll. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For anybody out there that doesn't use CocoaPods on a regular basis or works with multiple projects with CocoaPods, especially in the last few versions um, with the introduction of Swift. There's been a decent number of breaking changes in between versions, so uh, you might have one project that builds fine on one version and another project that needs a different version because the pods haven't been updated yet to uh, work with the newest version. So it can be quite challenging and you know, definitely hear teammates hitting their head against the wall. Uh, because they thought they had a quick fix that they needed to, do, but somebody else updated the Cocoa Pod, and now they've got to spend a couple hours figuring out what's wrong and which version they get and which version are they actually using. And it it can be a a little bit cumbersome and a waste of time, so this, this potentially eliminates that frustration. So check it out.
0: Definitely. So what's this Pomo TV thing? that's in our list here that's
2: a what appears to be a relatively new site and um, this was mentioned in ios dev weekly as a a site that collects various mac ios Cocoa development videos and and aggregates them all in one place so if you're looking for conference videos or just development videos in the Apple ecosystem. Um, theoretically, it's a one-stop shop, okay. and they seem to be
0: adding more and more all the time. So check it out. It's more or less just a, a link aggregator that's all about iOS and Mac development. Yeah, for videos. Okay.
2: Yeah, kind of like a a Vimeo for <laughs> you know a single-purpose Vimeo. Yeah. But they're YouTube.
0: not hosting the actual videos themselves.
2: No, I don't think so. I think they're just linking out to okay. YouTube or various
0: other sites. Yeah, that's pretty useful. Yep. So one thing I thought about this for this new year, you know, everybody always makes resolutions and usually my resolution is not to make a resolution. But uh one thing I did want to talk about a little bit was like making some tech resolutions. Like what kinds of things are you guys thinking about doing in 2016 differently than you did in 2015? Argo, you want to kick us off with one?
1: Sure. Um, I guess my uh, most hopefully achievable goal is ship something that actually has Swift uh, to the app store. I've done lots of Swift just messing around with things, but either in my, my main apps or just sh- ship some side app with Swift would be my first goal.
0: Yeah. Well, you kind of did that sort of with the GiveCamp camp stuff because... We all agreed to use Objective-C, and then I went off and coded in Swift. That doesn't count. I have to write (laughs) Swift. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Slid that in under the radar there. But, uh, okay, that's cool. Alex, how about you? You got one?
2: I tend to be pretty busy working with clients on multiple projects and and working with teammates. So, for me, I'd like to automate more routine tasks uh, to save time and and stop doing these uh tedious repetitive things that the computer could be doing for
0: me that's a very noble goal
1: yeah it's it's tricky to find that right balance between like automating for automation's sake and and actually saving yourself time you've seen that xkcd graph i'll put it in the show (laughs) notes of like you're wasting your time or whatever and everyone's laughing at you and then it gets to a point where you do something so much and automate it that you're like, ha, 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 I actually do win. So good luck.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if it's something you do five minutes every day, but it's going to take you three months to automate, that the ROI on that one's a pretty big number. So one thing I want to do is definitely ship a new app in 2016. And, yeah, I've shipped a number of client apps, but I want to ship one of my own this time. I'm gonna make that a, a concentrated goal.
1: You want to tell us, give us any hints about what this new app's gonna be, or is it still under wraps?
0: It's still under wraps for right now, and it's a it's a rather. Do you large, know what it is? <laughs> I, I do, I do, I do. Okay, it's, uh, all right. It's something I've been working on for the last three months or so, and it's it's usable on two platforms, and I got a third one that I'm working on right now. And uh, it's it's interesting. I feel like as I'm working on this one on each platform, it's like oh, I come up come up with new ideas, and I have to kind of pace myself and uh, hold back a little bit, but in order to uh, keep like an MVP, so I have uh, a little bit of rework that I definitely want to do to the other two platforms, which is a web and Apple TV, but then. Um, iOS, iPad would be the third platform. So I want to do a little bit more to that first and then go back and touch up the other two and then it should be
1: ready to go. Color me intrigued, Sam.
0: <laughs> well, we've talked about it offline. I just don't want to announce it.
1: Oh, I know. I, I I guess what it was, but I didn't want to... Anyways, yeah. I guess I'll go next. So I guess one of my more ambitious tech resolutions this year, it would be to ship something in VR, whether that's Oculus or Cardboard or or what. We'll have to... We'll see, but it seems like a a cool goal to have, so that's what my goal is.
0: So can you write that in Swift and kill two of your resolutions with one stone?
1: I guess I potentially could. I don't think there's a big community of iOS Cardboard users, though. No. (laughs) Although I have been meaning to mess with scene kit too so (laughs) you never know
0: stay focused argo stay focused
1: ah you're the one who's doing it all right what about you alex
2: Uh, my second item is kind of related to the first and that's to create some more project templates and snippets for some of the common things that that we do um you know on on small scale um convert some snippets that were in Objective C for things like table views and collection views into Swift and, and share that with the team. And then larger scale some project templates that set up some basic things for unit testing and automation for the project and to make it easier for teammates that are starting new projects and make it easier for them to do it the same way and not spend time kind of reinventing the wheel on every new project we did something similar at a previous company and it was a pretty big savings overall across hundreds of developers so I'd like to see the same impact in our office
1: it seems like a good open source project possibility
2: yeah it definitely should be some things that would that would be useful for others as well that we can share on github
0: yeah that'd be nice we can when that, when that happens we'll uh, talk about it again and- real you on your choices.
1: Dang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why'd you do it that way? So uh, one of the things I wanted to also check out a little bit more and been doing a little bit more cross-pollinization lately and there's this concept in the the React world and where they, they have a thing called Flux, which is something that Facebook came up with and then there's a open source implementation of it that has a little bit more opinionated and functional idea behind it. It's called Redux. And I want to check that out a little bit, at least a little bit in the JavaScript world. But there's also a couple uh, iOS libraries in there that have implemented it pretty well. So I want to take a look at those a little bit more. Uh, one's called Redux Kit, and the other one is SwiftFlow. And they kind of play in well with, like, um, the functional reactive programming stuff like Reactive Cocoa and, and uh, RX Swift.
1: Sounds like a fun one to tinker with, for sure. Mm-hmm. You're not going to ship anything with it? We'll see. If it, <laughs> if it's right. good
0: If it's good enough. How about you, Argo?
1: So this isn't super technical, but I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've just been noticing I've got all this old tech stuff sitting around and, like, filling boxes and boxes like i pull out this box and I've got all these cables from, you know, 1987 or something. And, like, the the little things that you used to screw into the back of the TV to hook up to the antenna, whatever those are called. Like, I don't need those anymore. So, uh, it's been kind of on my mind because my basement was flooded recently. So, I don't want to put anything back in there that doesn't need to go back in there. But I wanted to clutter uh, all of my tech stuff. So... Wish me luck on that endeavor. I think it'll it'll be a fun battle to fight.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a closet full of old PCs that I need to get rid of and as as well as a basement full of old cabling and RAM and I have a zip drive down there. <laughs> Although Ooh, it's kind of a classic drive. thing, so I feel hard it's, it's kind of hard for me to want to throw away at that thing, but Still.
1: I don't know if a zip drive is a good classic thing to keep around. <laughs> hey, it's There's in the computer stuff. history
0: museum. They have well, one computer it, history It should museum.
1: probably just stay there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can have my own museum.
1: Yeah. Alright, well we'll all come visit Sam's house and <laughs> check it out
0: then. <laughs> yeah, right in my my basement. <laughs> How about you, Alex? What about you got a good one? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I'd
2: like to do is get a little bit more out of my comfort zone and, and get better at working with tools like Sketch and for UI design and and graphics. Um, you know, I often have the luxury of having a graphic designer to work with, but sometimes you need to do something quick for a side project or a Cocoa Heads presentation. I'd like to just get better uh, with, with that tool set and be a little bit more self-reliant.
0: Yeah, I picked up a copy of Sketch last week and I was amazed at how easily I was able to mock up a pretty decent UI in it, just using some of the, the template things that it comes with.
2: It definitely seems to be a little bit more developer-focused and compared to Photoshop, it's definitely more tailored towards UI design, where Photoshop, it's there's some UI tools hidden deep in there. There's um, a developer preview of a UI-specific ui design specific workspace Uh, but you have to know how to get to it Mm -hmm. Um, now adobe is releasing a new tool this year currently called project comment that looks like it's going to give sketch a run for its money Uh, in addition to being there for ui design it also can do interactive prototypes all in one tool so could be interesting definitely keep an eye on that if you're already paying for the adobe tools uh, you know it, it seems like adobe's finally realizing there's a pretty large community of designers out there that just do ui design and prototyping so i'm glad to see they're responding to it and it'll be inter- interesting to see what bohemian coding does in response
0: yeah but they they hit that nice uh
2: pro-am market pretty well and the the pricing's definitely better (laughs) yeah one-time fee of 99 dollars versus um you maybe 50 i don't know what the current pricing for creative cloud is but depending on which suite you have it's probably 50
0: plus a month yeah i'll take the one-time hit
1: and it sounds like it's probably the project comet's probably going to be a pretty complicated beast just because it does all the all of that stuff rather than just kind of a little more focused uh, take that sketches.
2: Yeah, and I think it's probably going to fall short in some areas being a version one. So I think it'll be a while before it really competes with some of the solutions out there, especially on the prototyping side. But I do like the idea that you don't have to g- go through the trouble of creating your artboards, exporting your graphics importing them into a separate tool and then doing the prototype and every time you want to make a change you kind of have to go through that same process so I could definitely see where having them combined could be good as long as they don't compromise on usability and and flexibility
0: those are all that's like that triangle where you can have it on time under budget and bug free pick two right
2: Pros and cons to having one tool versus separate, specialized tools. We'll see what Adobe can do. They definitely have the manpower and the the funding to do something interesting. But it, even with the kind of resources they have, it still takes a while to have a full-featured product. So I don't expect 1.0 to be. Enough to convince me to drop sketch
0: right away. That'll be that'll definitely be one of those ones. Yeah, if if Adobe can get enough market share and get good enough tool, then yeah, then Bohemian Coding could be in trouble. But it's gonna be a while. Yeah, I th- I think that
2: you know Sketch is in a decent position, and it's it's kind of a a nice little nod from from Adobe saying. Yeah, we recognize you as a competitor now. So Mm -hmm. I I think they'll be all right for a while.
0: And, hey, they're getting 30% more revenue on their sales. Yeah, and
2: (laughs) more and more vendors are integrating with them and often integrating with them before Photoshop. So it's (laughs) uh, I, I don't think that trend
0: will change right away. Yeah, that's telling. So my last resolution for the new year is to get my current client fully baked onto Swift. So,
1: what does fully baked onto Swift <laughs> exactly mean?
0: Well, right now we have some technical limitations that are quickly disappearing as far as why we couldn't run the latest versions of Xcode and things like that. I guess it's more political than technical. But those are slowly or quickly disappearing now, actually. And so we'll be able to move into Swift 2. And so we're going to try to start doing more new development in the app in Swift.
1: Okay, so you're not talking about converting every all the existing no. code to Swift.
0: No, that would be horrendous. <laughs> it
1: would, yeah, that would probably be <laughs> a pain for any large existing project.
0: <laughs> yeah, which this one is. It's several hundred source files that are usually several hundred lines long, unfortunately. So with that in mind, coming up with the the new year, I thought we'd we'd play a little game of uh, buy, sell, or hold that tech. And uh, we'll just rattle off a few different tech topics. And you guys can say whether you would buy it as as an investor or sell it, or just hold on to it because you're not really sure where it's going to go. So, uh, first one out there, Swift.
1: Hmm, this is a tough one. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with buy. This. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with buy on Swift. What about you, Sam?
0: Yeah, I'm going to try to buy it for a while, especially with it going open source. And I'd like to see it on Android. I'd really love to see it on Android and then... See if it can do something more than just NDK Native Development Kit with it. Uh, if you can actually do I interface work with Swift on Android, that's a potential game-changer right there.
1: I think my my price target for Swift is probably right around when Swift 3 is released. And I may rethink things.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to stabilize a lot more. So you could argue a hold for right now until Swift 3, but I think it's a good time to get in the language is relatively mature and it's definitely picking up steam alex what do you think
2: i definitely would say bye <laughs> I kind of saw the writing on the wall early on and jumped in right away yeah and it, it was bumpy at first but at this point i i definitely prefer working in swift over objective c there's a few things Objective-C still does better, arguably, but uh, but I, I think most of the arguments against Swift are, are mostly gone now.
0: Yeah, I know if you want to work with some of the, the native libraries that are things like JavaScript core, you can do it in Swift, but it's a lot harder than you can not in Objective-C. So with that in mind, Objective-C buy sell or hold Argo, go
1: why do I have to go first
0: <laughs> you don't have to I was just
1: <laughs>
0: calling somebody out Alex
1: I don't know is this assuming that I have a bunch already <laughs>
0: <laughs> sell that stuff
1: so I guess it's either hold or sell
0: well you could be the die hard say it's not you could be a die hard say it's going to keep evolving and going no, places
1: don't think that's going to happen I guess I'll, I'll hold it at this point, I guess. It'll be around for a while longer, I, I think, still, but it's on the way out. Yeah. I'm probably going to hold for too long, but...
0: <laughs> it really is a, a decent language. I know when I first got into it, it was hard to appreciate, and then after I learned the technical details behind it, I started to appreciate it more. So I'm going to hold on to it with you.
1: I mean, it's been around for a really long time. Like, when was it released? Sometime in the 80s? So, I mean, it's not just going to disappear off the face of the earth overnight.
0: Yeah. Well, it's something that Next bought from another company. They bought the company, I think, that made the Objective-C compiler, the first one. It's not going away anytime soon. And there are some things that are actually easier to do still than in Swift, as I've learned recently.
2: And there's still a few, and I think if you have a large existing Objective-C code base, you're not you're going to be hard pressed to justify rewriting that in Swift, unless it's a real buggy code base. Then, then maybe you see some advantages, but um, I I don't I don't think it's a situation where you need to rewrite everything you have in objective c in swift but if you're starting a new project i don't think i'd recommend objective c
1: so does that translate to buy sell or hold for you alex
0: i guess it's a hold for now maybe in when we do this again next january it'll be a sell yeah or even
2: i do still do a decent amount of uh switching between objective c and swift even on projects that are mostly Swift often we're using libraries that are still objective C, So
0: I can't get away from it just yet. Yeah. It doesn't always bridge perfectly either. How about a little switch over from languages to architectural patterns, MVVM model view, view model. It's a little bit different than MVC.
1: What do you think, Sam?
0: We've been using it at work, at my day job, my client. And it's, it's worked out a lot better than the plain old MVC. And you know, we don't have the, the monolithic uh, view controllers as much. And when they do get large, it's still more about maintaining application view state rather than logic. So the logic is much more testable. So I'm by on that one. I guess in a, in a
2: sense, I kind of use MV, MVVM now. Um, I just don't necessarily call it MVVM. You know, anything that gets the logic out of your view controllers into something a little bit more testable. Um, you know, I, but, I think is, is definitely a good move. Uh, I, I do see MVVM occasionally abused you know creating view models just for the sake of creating view models isn't always the right thing to do Uh, well if
0: you're isolating your model from your view which is what a view model is for then you can change up your your model and not affect the view drastically
2: I think where I see it abused is when it when the view model basically replicates the model, uh, that just seems unnecessary and creates more opportunity for error because you've got to make sure you update mo- the you know properties or whatever it is in multiple places. So I, I think it really depends on how you implement it. And like any design pattern or architectural pattern, there's always opportunities for misuse or overuse.
0: It's not a silver bullet for sure.
2: Yeah. And it definitely, you know, if you're doing the functional reactive programming, then you're probably going to want to do MVVM. And I, I
0: see those things kind of going hand
2: in hand in a lot of cases.
0: They, so we do it at work without the, the FRP part. And usually the, the view model will have a delegate. And then it can tell its delegate to refresh its data and it's not the most efficient, but it is relatively simple so that you don't have to teach people like what an observable is and why is this signal hot or cold or anything like that. It's just more about observing something, observing some state changes or getting notified when state changes. Yeah, so
1: So does that put you at a buy, Alex? I haven't
0: On the M V B M. Um
1: or hold?
2: I, I'm probably gonna say hold for now. I I I I for me it's more about your motivation and what you're trying to accomplish than the terminology in this in this particular case. It's you know, moving the logic out to out of the your view controller I think is a good thing um, I think there's not a whole lot of examples of mVvM being used outside of reactive programming you know something like uh, reactive cocoa and I think that can can encourage misuse a, a little bit if uh, you know the lack of good examples can be problematic but um, I, I think the principle behind it's good I just don't always see it implemented in a good way
1: yeah put me down for a, a hold as well I think I think like like you said the principles are pretty sound and, and MVVM and I, I remember doing it back in the Java days too I, it just wasn't called that but uh, the people who were doing MVVM are going to continue to do it and the people who don't do it. Probably there's not going to be a, like a big boom in MVVM. It's not going to be like the new hot thing that people are talking about. So
0: well, it's not exactly like a, a framework that somebody can start marketing and sell large, expensive tools for.
1: I don't not, not necessarily tools, but like I mean, it can be the new like like functional reactive programming is kind of a similar architectural uh, thing Mm -hmm. uh, that I I think you could argue that people are trying to make into like a big thing that you can have conferences for and (laughs) I mean I remember when MVC was kind of like new and people were like MVC is a cool new thing come have this class in MVC or whatever I don't know
0: struts woo yeah (laughs)
1: So and rails. Funct- funct- and- <laughs> yep. So so, what about a uh, functional reactive type programming?
0: All right. So for me, it it'll, it depends a little bit on the library itself. I feel like reactive cocoa has gotten to be a little too big and complicated, and I've liked some of the the newer. Uh, more succinct versions out there like rx swift and there's another one out there called swift bond that seems pretty simple and easy to use so i feel like this is a technology that's starting to catch on better uh, like reactive Cocoa definitely laid a lot of groundwork but these other libraries that are more swift specific are uh, they don't have the same baggage mm-hmm. and They seem to be more interesting. So I'm going with a buy.
2: You're basically saying reactive cocoa is the struts
0: of the (laughs) FRP. (laughs) That's that's our uh, show title. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I I would stand by that statement.
2: I think, you know, for me, conceptually, I, I like the idea of the functional reactive programming. I think... There's, like you, the reactive cocoa seems like it's got a a lot of conceptual overhead, if not actual overhead. Uh, You know, introducing that to a project definitely is going to have a learning curve. And, you know, for us, where we're building apps for clients that the clients might end up maintaining, that might be more inappropriate for that that scenario and they have something that that is hard to understand without having say a class in reactive cocoa ahead of time um there are things like rx swift and uh interstellar that are kind of the lightweight version of reactive cocoa but i think like a lot of frameworks they'll eventually be heavyweight as well you know they're, they'll continue to grow and add features so you know i don't know if they'll always stay lightweight but i definitely encourage people to go out play with some of these frameworks and the concepts and get familiar with them uh, okay. I, I would love it if apple provided some built-in uh, support for functional reactive programming
0: yeah one of the nice things about RxSwift versus reactive cocoa is that it follows the same patterns as other FRP uh, programming libraries do on other platforms. So you can go look at the documentation for say a zip operation and it's just generic opera generic documentation. And you know that this is going to happen in RxSwift and it's going to happen this way in Rx Java, and all kinds of other reactive extensions. Whereas Reactive Cocoa, they've got their own ideas of how things work. So, Argo, where are you going to fall on this one?
1: I think it's all a giant fad. Sell, sell, sell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just like the internet. Sell, sell, sell.
1: Yep. That (laughs) internet was no good for anyone. (laughs) But I don't know. Especially it seems like Swift people are really like, Ooh, this new this new functional stuff is awesome and it's going to change how everything, everyone does stuff. But I mean, it's
0: they're like the people that use e-cigarettes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, part of my hesitation with
2: the re- functional reactive frameworks is that outside of reactive cocoa, it's very, very difficult to find any conference presentations or third parties writing about them you know that that kind of community support is very scarce it's not to say those those frameworks don't have a decent community around them it's just the the amount of materials published on them is still extremely hard to find or doesn't exist at all so it's kind of hard to get good examples and guidance on how to use them outside of the base documentation which depending on the framework or the project uh could be really good or or very lightweight hmm.
1: i think it's going to go one way or the other it's either going to explode or it's gonna just completely die off i think because there is a lot of hubbub about it right now but i don't i don't think it really has stained power i guess is my thought
0: and it could go zombie like a uh windows phone just hang around there lingering kind of like uh core data
2: i I think there's always going to be a community of people doing functional reactive programming uh they're not likely to be the beginners they're probably going to be more experienced developers with a functional mindset and uh you know there's nothing you know wrong with being part of that community it's just I, i i think you hear a lot about them but i don't think it's as big as people who aren't using functional reactive
0: concepts well yeah for sure otherwise we wouldn't even be having this conversation yeah so
2: i would say buy on experimenting with it
0: hold on (laughs) using it in production you can't do that (laughs) it's more like a sample yeah Oh, and I do I that too. <laughs> Can I have a trial version of that?
2: <laughs> I think there's enough interest in the concepts that it's good to get more familiar with them and and decide for yourself. But I don't know if I could recommend to everybody to go and use one of these frameworks or feel comfortable enough to use them on a regular basis myself.
0: Okay. So. uh... How about cocoa pods? That's one that's been around a while.
1: Hold.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would say hold. You know, we're already very dependent on it today. We'll probably continue to be dependent on it for a while. Um
0: yeah, I'm a hold on this one too. I I have this feeling that we're gonna see something in June at the rate we're going. And it's totally going to Sherlock it
1: totally I don't know
0: well okay not probably it'll probably be on the level of the the, uh, bots first version where if you weren't using it before something like it before then this is good enough for you
1: I think this is kind of like objective seeing that the writing is on the wall uh, but it's still going to be around for another year or two I'd love to be proven wrong, but something big like this Apple is not good at Sherlocking and providing backward support for you know, X amount of versions. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That'll be an iOS 10 only feature, right?
1: Yeah.
2: I I think it comes down to what kind of community level involvement they have uh with the Swift package manager on whether or not they can really Sherlock it. I know there's already been some back and forth on CocoaPods and I, I believe they've added the ability to integrate, you know, read in a, uh,
0: package file. Mm. So, so we'll how about Carthage. What do you think about Carthage?
1: Sell, sell, sell.
2: <laughs> yeah. I got excited about it. Um, you know, brought it in on a new project, tried to use it, ran into a few challenges. Figured out how to get around them, then ran into a few more, and it just got to the point where it was just too much effort. So, you know, where I'm, where I'm fighting with the package manager and not actually getting the application implemented. So I switched back to CocoaPods at that point.
1: Well, I don't think it's a bad package manager. No. It just hit it like the worst time possible. Yeah. Like it was, it was way later than CocoaPods, uh, and just before Swift Package Manager, and that it, like gained popular use. Uh, and it's, I would probably say like the, like the architecture behind it is more functionally sound than uh, CocoaPods is. Like it's, it's kind of like Swift Package Manager that it works like with the, you're supposed to pull in the project and build essentially, and that that's how you. You build it it seems like there's not as many like weird edge cases and stuff like that except for i mean all those issues that you were just talking about with the tooling so yeah i think cell just it was bad timing maybe in a different you know different timeline uh it would have beat out cocoapods two years ago and a lot of my
2: issues with carthage had less to do with carthage itself and what the third party library had done to support Carthage, you know certain things like if you have more than one project uh wouldn't i think Carthage would pick the first one by default if it's in the root directory yeah it didn't it's not like...
1: it's not you Carthage it's me yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so i you know they' it's it's not a simple thing there's a re- reason why Ponds is kind of Big and and sometimes difficult to work with. You know, it's not a simple problem to solve. Carthage tried to take a smaller sliver of that and and solve it, but there's still corner cases. I just happened to hit a lot of those corner cases.
0: Well, I think too that also the the main creator, who is uh, also the author of Reactive Cocoa, Justin Spar Summers, has changed jobs, and I don't see that he's as active as he used to be in Carthage. It's still got a community behind it but they're not the founder anymore he's not that active so you know who's who's really driving it forward anymore It's a good question so i'm kind of sell on the sell on that one too
1: so swift package manager sounds like we're all kind of on a on a buy for that i'd say uh, disagree?
2: I would say hold no. and, and see yeah. where it goes. I, th- I think until hmm, it can support right. things like Objective-C, it's probably not going to replace pods for me. Right, same here. Um, and also, It's in the roadmap. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's definitely in the roadmap. Yeah. It, and we might see that before June, depending on
0: the amount of community involvement. It's very early on for it right now, so...
1: That's why you got to buy now because you know it's going to get <laughs> it's going to be exploding in buy a couple that. years. I got enough cuts <laughs> on my hands and
0: stuff. I <laughs> well,
1: that doesn't mean you have to use it. You just got to... <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's got a big backer. We'll, we'll say yeah. that. Much bigger backer than any of the other ones have.
1: Yeah, one of the interesting things that I want to see how it plays out is like how it works with like all the, the Linux and server-side stuff. It seems like it's going mm. to be the place to be for, uh, iOS and OS 10 and all the other platforms that Apple added on last year. But I don't know about the surface side server side stuff. We'll see.
0: Yeah. If, and also if, if it can create frameworks instead of just static libraries, then it's a much more usable target in uh, my apps. So, uh, how about React Native, speaking of uh, Facebook kind of stuff? Actually, not really speaking of Facebook directly, but...
1: No one wants to go first on this <laughs> one.
0: <laughs> I know there's
2: definitely some big companies out there adopting React Native now, um, but I'm not, I'm not completely convinced it's the way to go. I mean, I, I see it as an alternative to Interface Builder.
1: The way to, what do you mean by the way to go?
2: It really depends on what kind of problem you're trying to solve. If You're trying to have a team of UI developers learn one skill set in order to develop for Android and iOS. I think React Native is better than some of the alternatives out there, but you still are going to have native code. Um, you still have to kind of wrap native components for React Native. Um, I do think it's better than, than a lot of alternatives rather than just kind of rendering. And web technologies, they they uh, wrap native components. So, you know, if it's important to you to have a set of developers that can develop UIs for multiple platforms, then it might be a good choice.
1: I was just going to say, uh, I think I'm probably a buy on it. and Not in the sense that, like, if you're making a consumer-facing app, you should use React Native. I think it's like Alex was starting to allude to, it, like, this is... A replacement for, like, uh, all of the, like wrap wrap your UI web view, and in, in a in a wrapper and do all your stuff there. I, I think, I think that's where its place is going to be. It's going to be for enterprise apps, uh, and people with you know very limited uh, teams who need to make one thing that runs on a lot of different mobile platforms. I, I don't think it's going to be the, the next big thing and Apple's going to start writing their their apps in React Native but although they did have some job postings I noticed <laughs> for React Native developers so I guess you never know uh, Did they really? Yeah I saw it somewhere. I'll try to find yeah. it and put it in the show notes but it's just the fact that Apple, would. I mean they're a big company they have people doing everything I'm sure but.
0: Well they could completely redo their app store in react native
1: yeah it'd be better than the the web junk yeah so <laughs> well, it
0: could yeah.
2: also be for you know they've got the the music app for android
1: yeah mm. true mm.
2: and maybe so sam hi- is someone we'll see some more apple apps on android
1: yeah so sam is someone who's actually has probably more experience than both Alex's combined what what's your thought on react native buy sell or hold
0: well that's actually something that my client has farmed out to another company uh, so i don't have a lot of direct interaction with that you don't
1: have a feel in the building for how it's going though now well i
0: I do have a general feel of the sentiment towards it
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well why don't you just tell me what your thoughts are and we'll we'll suss out what your what that is
0: well i do feel like this is Kind of the the new generation of hybrid, and while it may not be the end be all end all generation of hybrid apps, it's I guess it's a nice thing. It's it's a good thing for people, but you're still always going to be behind the curve of you know, oh uh, they didn't they didn't release uh, updated code to support this new beta version of iOS, so I can't develop in that until. It comes out in September, and that's already too late. So you're you're always going to be behind the curve there. And if that for a lot of people, it's okay, but for others that demand more, no, it's not going to be okay. And it's JavaScript too. I, mean, I feel like this is something that's definitely going to catch on more. So maybe a buy there, but for me personally, sell that.
1: Interesting. So what about Fastlane? Got bought by or The sole developer got acquired by Twitter. It's still pretty early project, but there's a whole bunch of stuff there. I think I'm going to go buy. What do you guys think?
0: On Fastlane?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Fastlane.
2: Yeah, buy. Yeah, it's definitely, from the first time we started working with it to to more recently, it's matured quite a bit, and I think it will continue to mature. Um, There are still some challenges that I have with some of the modules Running on a CI server, uh, but they've been fa- fairly responsive on the issue tracker when I log issues, so I I think it's
0: probably a buy. So the last one in the list, going indie in 2016, buy, sell, or hold? Alex, I you know
2: I I would probably say hold. It it really depends on on the business, like any business. It's the the odds are against you in terms of succeeding. You got to run it like a business. If you are at the point where you're making enough money or you, or you have the right investors or the right market, then you know go for it. But just do it knowing that most businesses fail. So <laughs> if you're in a position you can take that risk, go for it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say hold. Uh, yeah, it's not much change. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen in, in the iOS space, Mac and iOS space this year or any time in the next couple of years
0: yeah i'll I'll have to go hold even though it breaks my heart um uh, maybe well, that doesn't
1: that doesn't mean that you can't go indie it just means that there's not some giant boom coming
0: <laughs> yeah the days are are over where somebody releases an app and you know he's eighteen years old or sixteen years old and gets hundred thousand dollars because he created this runaway hit at least you know those news articles were popping up left and right in 2008 i think that still happens it just it,
2: it's like playing the lottery now the yeah you know, the the numbers are against you right now and discoverability if apple happens to find you and feature you and or somebody else picks you up and you've got a, a good business model yeah the key there is business model yeah
0: so it's not so much going indie and just making a bunch of apps it's you can create a business you can create a startup and i, I would buy that but not just going indie
2: and uh, build it and they will come definitely sell that. <laughs> <laughs> we do have one other, uh, news item to mention, uh, friend of the show, Josh Brown from Roadfire software. Uh, he was on an episode with us back in May talking about Swift and he just recently released, a a new self published book, um, on parsing JSON and Swift. Uh, so, you know Swift traditionally it's been known for being difficult to work with when parsing JSON um, without using a framework, and his book does a great job of, of walking you through the steps of of working with JSON in Swift and shows you how to do it without relying on a framework. So if uh, that's a topic of interest, definitely recommend checking it out. I got a chance to review an early copy of it, and definitely you know Josh is is a great at writing he's been featured in Dev weekly a few times so uh and one of his passions is teaching people the program so check out the book highly recommend it yeah
0: we should get him back on the show yeah absolutely it was, it was good all right well before we uh bleed over into 2017 we should probably end this episode how about you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet i'm at aj robinson on twitter
1: i'm at alex argo
0: and i'm at sam quarter I'll see if I can get this right. It's been a while. The podcast is at Shared Inst and we have a Gmail account. It's shared instance podcast at gmail dot com. And as always, we do welcome your ratings and reviews on iTunes to help spread the word when people want to look for an interesting podcast.
1: And show notes are at sharedinstance.com. dot com. We never talk about those, but those are there.
0: <laughs> yes. And it'll be sharedinstance dot com slash forty three. Cool. All right. Welcome back again and I'll see you guys later.